So, some great news this week, some good news and bad news, but main, mostly great news. Um, I went to the dentist, and I was actually fitted for a crown. Um, now, this was my first one. Other people may have had this done before, but my initial reaction was, it's about time. <laughs> Finally, I've gotten a crown. So I started to levy taxes. I raised a standing army. I issued some, pro some proclamations, um, including a strongly worded missive to Putin and the so-called UN Security Council. And while I was doing this, our royal person was rudely, rudely interrupted by a lady in the dentist office who charged me $434 and set up a cleaning in August. Now this was rude. This was just rude. And so I had to, you know, put her in the dungeon. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I want to be a benevolent ruler, but this kind of resistance to regime change has to be met with decisive action. So, so that's what we did. So anyway, I, so I've got fitted for a crown and now I can eat human food again. That's good. So today we're talking about Jesus as the bread of life. And so here's what I want to do. Uh, as I go, I'll, I'll pop in some slides into this presentation, but basically here's where we're going to land. Uh, Jesus as the bread of life. We're going to eat the bread, and then we want to enjoy life forever. And as we're doing this, I'll just go ahead and proclaim myself Chef E, um, the first of his name, <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about we'll talk about bread. All right. So um, there's a Bible uh, Bible study technique that I want to talk about just for a minute because I actually am going to do this in the first part of the message, and it's really useful, and it's something that I think anybody can do. And it's this: if you go to the website, BibleGateway.com, you can actually search uh, scripture, all of scripture, for a word or a phrase or, or an, even an idea. Type it in and see if you see what it hits. And the idea is, if you're thinking about something, say, bread, and you want to know what, is, what does Bible, the Bible say about bread, you can actually look up easily every time the word bread appears in all of scripture. So I did this because we're talking about bread today. And so it's just really interesting. I would encourage you to do that for any topic you're you're curious about. It can be really interesting. So part of what happens is, is there's something that I call the continuity of metaphor. Um, scripture is absolutely amazing in this regard. Now part of it is it's, it's the way language works because if you say the word bread, well bread tends to mean bread over time. And so we understand words have meaning. But beyond that, bread as a metaphor or bread as a picture or bread as something that helps us understand a bigger idea. Um, but the Bible is remarkably consistent in this regard. So bread tends to mean things over time that are similar and connected and overlapping, but, but it's a very tight pattern of meaning. Um, and it's absolutely incredible. And this happens across the board. So you can look up birds or bears or love or father. And if you look this up and look at it all through scripture, you'll have this incredibly consistent idea that will form a pattern over time. It's actually really incredible. And this is part of the reason why I think scripture is the real thing. Because if you've ever done a, a group project, <laughs> you, know, you can't get five people to agree on anything for 15 minutes. How does this happen over thousands of years with dozens of authors with, you know, over, over time? It, the answer is it doesn't. God is the author of Scripture, and he is involved in the process, and that's why it's so remarkably consistent. So if we look at the idea of bread, uh, bread, big picture, is this. It's provision, and by extension, a picture of having all your needs met. The primary picture of bread in the Old Testament is manna, the manna from heaven that came down, um, that fed the children of Israel as they were walking around in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, and the, the primary picture of the New Testament is Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. And, and this, this idea is just incredible. And these two ideas together are, are really something. But it also um, extends into the idea of lack of bread, into judgment or struggle um, that can be a thing. 
uh, also comes into hospitality, connection, and assistance for a journey, ultimately to the very presence of God. So let's look at a couple of these. I'm going to put these slides up quickly. Don't worry about reading every word. Scan it, get the gist, and we're going to move on. But I just want you, I just want you to get the top line of each of these ideas because it's really cool, and it will help us land the idea of bread as we go. So the first picture is this. Bread is a picture of plenty. So Jacob made a vow saying, God will be with me and give me bread and clothing to wear. Um, Proverbs tells us to not be lazy, to you know, to get up in the morning, and you'll have plenty of bread. Uh, Psalms talks about, I'll abundantly bless his people with provisions and satisfy her poor with bread. And so it's an idea of having what you need, and this is a, this is a good idea. Second idea of bread in Scripture is judgment and lack. The very first mention of bread is from generation, uh, Genesis 3, where it says, By the sweat, this is part of the curse. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you will take into your dust, and to dust you shall return. And the idea is that getting bread, hard. Right? It's going to be toil. It's going to be grindy. It's going to be something that's really tough. But, but it's because of the curse that we'll be taking out of the Garden of Eden. Now bread is more of a thing than it used to be. Um, and then again in the book of Job, his children are multiplied, his descendants don't have enough bread. The idea here that you'll see, particularly in the book of the Twelve or the Minor Prophets, is that you know people don't have enough bread and this is a sign of judgment or it's a very bad thing. Uh, Psalms talk about uh, being fed with the bread of tears. Uh, next picture of bread that we find consistently in Scripture is the idea of divine provision. And so this is literally bread coming out of the sky sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic. So the story of Joseph, you remember there's a huge famine but leading up to the famine, God gave uh, Pharaoh dreams. Joseph was promoted, interpreted the dreams, and then became kind of the prime minister overseeing this, this idea. And there was famine in all lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. And there was bread because of God leading them to this idea that they needed to store up during the good years so that they, would, they could cover the bad years. But it's very much a divine intervention that probably saved hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of lives. So good job, God. Um, in Exodus 16, we have manna from heaven. The Lord says to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, so you're not walking around in the desert starving to death. God literally miraculously provided bread for generations <laughs> to the children of Israel. It was really great. When Elijah was alone and confused and worried, um, did not have enough to eat, God literally sent ravens to bring him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And, and then he had fresh water from a brook that was nearby. But God literally rained bread on Elijah out of the sky. It was divine provision. It was really good. And this happens uh, from time to time. The, another idea of bread is hospitality and connection. Um, in the early church in the book of Acts, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. It's really cool. This idea of breaking bread being a picture of community and connection and the early church and the Holy Spirit working this new thing in the earth and a critical component of that was eating bread together. And this, this idea of hospitality is really present in Middle Eastern cultures. It's, it's present in a lot of cultures that are not American. Uh, but you see, you see this a lot. Um, so things like, let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat. You have strength to go on your way. You see that over and over and over and over. People will share bread to be a good thing. Um, there's a wonderful passage in the book of Ruth that kind of ties into this where Boaz sees Ruth and sees that she's beautiful, <laughs> you know, and he's a single guy looking around, and, and, and she's disconnected. And he says, oh, no, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so he brought her to his table um, during the harvest time. So she sat and he passed her roasted grain. She ate and had some left over. Um, but just this act of kindness and this act of, you know, uh, provision with, with bread. Um, and, and this isn't a new thing. You know, men and women have been making googly eyes over each other over bread for centuries. <laughs> so, so, so this is a good thing. It's a, it's a romantic, it's a romantic piece too. Okay, so uh, bread is journey food. This is really good. So 
Um, Exodus 12, you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. When the children of Israel left the land of Egypt, they left very quickly. The, you had the uh, the plagues. At some point, Pharaoh's like, I'm done with you. Get out. And so they're like, okay, let's go. They did not they did not rest. They actually left in some amount of haste. They left very quickly. And because of that, they had bread. They did not have time to let the bread rise. They took unleavened bread and took it with them for the journey. Uh, and so they literally packed up all their stuff and they got out of there as soon as possible. And Jews to this day till still celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, marking this exodus out of Egypt where they left so quickly they didn't have time for the bread to rise. They literally took it with them. And so for a number of days, they actually eat unleavened bread every year. It's a, it's a wonderful picture of God's deliverance and food for the journey. Um, in the Lord's Prayer in the book of Luke and in other Gospels, the idea is give us this day our daily bread on the way, food on the way for the journey. Um, and there's a spiritual aspect to journey food that is bread. And again, manna, uh, very much uh, journey food. It's a picture of God providing horse food on the way. Another picture of bread that we see consistently, and this is really, uh, it happens a lot in Proverbs, happens a lot in Psalms, and I would say Isaiah. Um, it's like God's giving you bread and is the idea not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless into your house. See the naked, cover them, um, and, and, and to provide. But we have this idea of we have bread, we have plenty of bread, so we can share our bread with people who need it, right? We can be generous with the idea. And certainly God has been generous with us. You know, again, a primary picture of that would be manna. The children of Israel were uh, in the desert. They didn't have sustenance. God generously provided for them for years, this bread from heaven. Um, there's another wonderful picture of bread that we'll land on. That is this. Bread as a picture of the presence of God. It says, for a tent was prepared in the first section. This is where the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence is called the holy place. Now, this was the tabernacle that God established through Moses in the book of Exodus. And this basically was the, the place of worship. So where sacrifices were done, where the, the priests first started doing their thing, this became the model for the temple later. But one of the primary pieces of the tabernacle was the priest would go into this area called the holy place. And there were three elements in the holy place. One was an altar of incense that burned this wonderful smelling incense that rose up into the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. The other two pictures, uh, the other two pieces in there was the 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 lampstand, which was the menorah that had these candles and light for the room. And then there was also was a table that had a bowl with freshly baked bread. It smelled amazing, by the way, <laughs> like freshly baked bread, this wonderful incense, this wonderful light. And so you have these pictures of light and wonderful smell as prayers going up into the presence of God. And this idea of bread that was a central piece of a picture of God and connection with God. It was literally called the bread of the presence. And when Jesus uh, comes to us and says to them that I am the bread of life. This is something that a Jewish audience would understand, that he was the bread. He was the bread of the presence. And so he's doing a new thing here and leading people to this incredible truth. So for this passage in particular, let's pull a few things out of it and just make application um, as we go. So let's call this Gospel Bread Truth 1. <laughs> and the idea is this. Life comes through death and the cross. And so I want you to see these two uh, pieces of scripture because they're, they're very similar with one small change. And I think it gives us a key to understanding this passage. So John 6:40 says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now we skip down to, to verse 54, and he says something else that's very similar. He says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Notice the, the connection and the overlap here has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And what leads to that, in the first case, 
is looking on the Son and believing in Him. In the second case, it's feeding on the flesh of Christ and drinking His blood. So that drinking His blood and feeding on His flesh is a way of looking on the Son and believing in Him, literally, of taking that idea into ourselves, that these things are very similar. So what is Jesus saying here? We know as the story continues uh, that the flesh of Christ was torn and crushed on the cross, that His blood was literally spilled, actually spilled, by torture and by Roman execution that looking and believing in Jesus involves looking and believing in the cross and the sacrifice that he gave to us. Now we're not to the Last Supper yet. We've got 14 chapters or so to go before we get there. But Jesus already, even early on, is pointing us to the cross here and saying that what he's going to do on the cross is like bread to us. That our life comes through his sacrifice and death. And this is important because we want, I want, you know, I want my life to come through cleverness and through hard work or through a rich uncle's, uncle's generosity or things that I can see and control and handle and do well with. But I, I want to earn it. We want to earn it. But the reality is God takes this out of our hands. We want our life to come through being a good person and doing our best. But the gospel gives us another message. And this is really, really important. God takes this completely out of our hands. We can't get there. We're never clever enough. We can't work hard enough. We're not good enough. We never will be. We don't work our way up to God. Our connection to God comes through his love and through what he did, and that's the only way that we get there, that our life comes through his sacrifice and his death. So the, the, second, the second picture is this. Uh, God wants to change your mind. So Jesus goes through this teaching on eating his, literally eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and many people who are following him through the feeding of the 5,000, through the miracles, through these amazing teachings, they're with him, they're with him, they're with him. And then when he does, he drops this teaching on them, many people balk and they go, wait a minute, this is hard. And many people actually walk away from Jesus. And I think there are three reasons why this happens um, in, in this case. You know, the first reason is this. There's a crazy person talking about cannibalism and drinking blood in the synagogue. <laughs> you know, it's like that, that would be something that would be absolutely shocking. It's not hard to understand. If you think he's serious, if you think he's literal, he's talking in the first person, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, it sounds a little nuts. Anyone would be shocked by this. Anyone would be shocked by it if you're taking it seriously. The second thing is, there are specific Jewish laws in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy against drinking blood. It says the life is in the blood. Don't drink, don't drink the blood of animals, the life is in the blood. And cannibalism wasn't allowed in Jewish culture. You know, you don't eat bats or lobsters or children, it turns out. Um, so there, there's this idea that there's specific Jewish laws against us, and Jesus seems to be saying something that would be that, that would be easily misunderstood from someone coming at this from a perspective of Jewish law. Third thing is this. Uh, for a Jewish mindset, the way to live forever, the way to find God in century one was to follow God's law, to be generous, to give sacrifices, to tithe, to follow the festivals, to follow the rituals, to pass these teachings down to the next generation. That's how we get to, to this thing. That's how we get this divine connection. And Jesus is saying something else here. He's saying these things are good. These rituals, I'm fulfilling them. I'm bringing them, this chapter, in a significant way to a close. They're not going away, but they're becoming me. I'm coming to bring them to a close and to bring them to completion. And they weren't understanding that move, right? Jesus is saying, it's not, you don't just follow the law anymore. Now you follow me and you take what I am into yourself, that God's life is something that we want to participate in fully. Look, he's not being shocking to be mean or to cause people distress, honestly, but he needs to shake them out of a pattern of thinking that they've had 
for generations, for thousands of years at this point, and he's trying to wake them up. He's trying to, to, to get them to, to see something else. He isn't saying that drinking blood is now good. <laughs> it's okay. What he's saying is that the reason for our not drinking blood is that the life is in the blood, which it says in Leviticus, and that we're taking the life of God's Son, the life of Jesus, into ourselves. This is something we participate in literally, actually, and fully. So for, for us, what does this mean? <laughs> it means this. We all have patterns of thinking, all of us, that are good, mostly good, like tying your shoes, good. You know, you know, you know, getting up in the morning, good. We have patterns of thinking and patterns of behavior that are good. Sometimes our patterns of thinking, sometimes our patterns are incomplete. They're not as good as they could be. Sometimes they're just bad, right? Sometimes they're just very bad. And, and God wants us to change the thinking that's incomplete and not as good to be better. And when we get clobbered by our bad decisions, when we get clobbered by our incomplete thinking, we look to change. We do from time to time. So here's what I want you to do. The next time you have this opportunity, let God's word change your mind. Let God's word change your mind. This is not necessarily going to be an easy thing. You've already made up your mind about you know, what it means to drink blood or not. <laughs> you know, you've already made up your mind about this, this important thing. But it's not working, and God wants to change your mind. And what I want to say is you've got a thousand voices coming at you. TV, Twitter, social media, news, not news. You've got, you've got all this stuff, and it's all coming at us at a thousand miles an hour all day, every day. It's an incredible amount of noise. And what I want to suggest to you, that as a Christian, as a Christ follower, we have an amazing lifeline here, and it is Scripture. It's the teaching of Scripture. So when you look to change your mind, do the bread move. <laughs> do a survey on, wow, money, relationships, love, um, giving. <laughs> you know, it's like whenever you're thinking about something, whenever God is chewing on you about something in particular in your life, look at what his word has to say and let that inform your mind. It will be transformative. It will be surprising. It will be really good. It will ring with truth. And if you do it, it'll be really effective. It'll be really, really helpful. So what does God wisdom have to say about money or relationships or work or purpose? Let the Bible be your filter. It's extraordinarily helpful to let God change your mind in this particular sort of way. So God wants to change your mind. Let him do that through Scripture and through his word. All right. So uh, third thing is this. Bread truth number three. <laughs> this truth divides humanity. Um, we, want, we so badly want everything to, we, we, we so badly want to say something like, all roads lead to God. It's okay, just believe whatever you want. As long as you're not hurting anybody, it's fine. But Jesus doesn't do this. He does not do this. And, and you know, we can be nice about it, <laughs> but, but we have to come to a place where, where we uh, don't do this either. And this is an important thing. This, is, this really is the heart of the gospel. And I'll say this as gently as I can. Uh, but C.S. Lewis said this, said this very well. He said, that, he said that a lot of people want to say something like this. Jesus was a good guy, love what he said, but I, you know, is he really the only way to heaven? He said, that's not an option that Jesus himself left us. He didn't leave, he didn't leave us this as an option. And John chapter 6 is a really stunning example of this. So it works like this. So what Lewis says is that really nice people, really good people who have helpful things to say, don't also say, I am the Son of God. I am God. <laughs> they, don't, they don't say this, right? You, you see this guy on Oprah occasionally or on Maury Povich, and you know, he'll be a crazy person. They'll say, okay, well, if you're, if you're actually the Son of God, can you walk on water? And they'll bring out a tub of water, and the guy will step into the tub of water. He'll sink up to his shins and go, ta-da! And everybody will go, wow, this dude is like, he doesn't start a worldwide movement. You don't have billions of people going, he's my guy. This guy gets help, right? He gets, he gets, his family intervenes and, and he gets the medicine he needs or he gets, he gets help. He's a crazy person. So, so one, one of the options for Jesus is that he's a, he's a nut. He's a, on the person who thinks he's Napoleon or he thinks he's a hard-boiled egg. When he says, when someone says, I'm the son of God, 
most of the time that means they're crazy. So is that, is that what we think about Jesus? It's not. Well, why not? Well, because the other fruit of his life was really good. The things he had to say weren't crazy. The things he had to say weren't nuts. The effects of what he did were really, really good in the earth. And so we take that one off the table. It, he could have been a liar. He could have known what he was doing. The ultimate cult leader, right? Like, you know, the guy who was just super perceptive and really smart and just manipulated people into believing all this crazy stuff. And then he, he started a movement that somehow hung around. It's like, I just don't, I'm not, I'm not getting the, the used car salesman, selfish, weird stuff behind the scenes from Jesus that we get from all the other cult leaders that eventually folded and fall apart. It's just not where we're getting. And if Jesus is a liar, he's the worst. He's a demon, right? He's, he's, a, he's really, really bad if he's lying and manipulating people and then they're martyring themselves for him. This is very bad. The other alternative is that he is who he says he is, that what he says is true. But what he doesn't, so he, he's, he's a liar, he's a, he's a crazy person, or he's actually telling the truth, right? And we, if we can look at this and say, wow, that's interesting. What we can't say and what Jesus takes off the table for us is to say, oh, he's a good person. He's basically, he's okay, he's okay, but you know, I don't, you know. Like, no, good people don't say the things that Jesus said. This can be a hard truth. And, it, and honestly, it's why people love Christmas time, right? Because it's, it's what the world, the world for our movie Talladega Nights, where he, he prays a sweet little baby Jesus, right? right? At Christmas, we get sweet little baby Jesus, and sweet little baby Jesus is not getting in our grill and telling us, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and I'm the only way. <laughs> right? Sweet little baby Jesus is really nice, and we can sing songs. And, and he's, not, he's not hitting you with a hard truth in a John 6 sort of way. But John 6 does come, and it can be a hard truth, and that many people will walk away from and they do in this chapter. Many, says many disciples balk at this truth. They said, nope, I can't. Nope, we're too far. And they literally turned around and walked away. After watching him do miracles, after watching how he loved the children, after, after watching him provide, after watching him say his thing, they still turned around and walked away because they couldn't get past um, the truth that he was saying. It can be a hard thing. All right, bread truth number four. Uh, the bread is a person. <laughs> this, this one is super helpful. It's, super, it's a super simple point, but it's actually really, really helpful. So in verse 67, at the end of the passage, Jesus says to the 12, do you, like, all these people are leaving. They're bailing on this idea that to eat, eat his flesh and drink his blood. And he, and he says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And, and Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, whom shall we go? <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. And we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And what Peter gets here, what he apprehends, and what we need to get is that the bread is not an idea. It's not a crazy, it's not a crazy bit of philosophy. It's not a crazy bit of theology. It's a person. The bread is a person. It's not a set of rules and regulations. It's not cannibalism and becoming righteous, sparkly vampires. We laugh and we drink blood. No, it's not what's going on. We're talking about the truth of Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one who came to earth to save us. We're taking this truth and we're taking it into our hearts. That's what's going on. And it's a person. It's the identity of Jesus, making that identity part of us. We believe, and we believe in taking the goodness of the person of Christ, the identity of Christ, into our hearts. Does Peter understand everything that's going on? I don't think he does. <laughs> I don't think he does yet, right? I think he does eventually. But they were grumbling about this too. Ooh, this drink of blood thing, this is hard. How do we, what, what, do, we, what do we do with this? This was a hard thing. But, but hear me, this is a central truth of the gospel. This is a central truth of the gospel. If you're not yet a Christian and you're having trouble with all of the details, all of the crazy questions, all the stuff that can be bothersome, that's okay. It really is okay. Peter did not have everything figured out, and neither do I. I don't have everything figured out. I have some questions. But the central truth of the gospel is this. If you're having trouble with the details, that's fine. Set that aside. There's one question. Who is Jesus? <laughs> Who is Jesus? 
talk about Jesus, the person of Jesus, and talk about the resurrection. Um, listen, I, I have a, a lot of fondness for people who don't believe in God at all. For whatever reason, I have a lot of friends who are atheists. I love these guys. I spend time with them. They're smart and funny, and, and, and I connect with them uh, weirdly. But when I get to the point of the relationship where I can say, you know, what do you, what do, you do with this crazy? They eventually know that I'm a Christian, and they, you know, they spend time with me anyway. Um, but eventually we get to the point of, why don't you believe in, in God? Get, break it down for me. What I've never heard, and, and again, I want to be kind here, but what I've never, ever heard, not one time, is this. I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. I read the book of Luke, and it's just, a, he's, that dude's a bag of hot air. <laughs> it's like, not one time have I ever heard this. I've never, no one has a problem with Jesus. They're, they listen to Jesus go, yep, that guy's got something going on. I've never heard. I've really looked at the historical evidence surrounding the resurrection. I've really dug into it. I've looked at the arguments. I've looked at the evidence. And I'm not buying. I just don't get it. I've never heard that. Not one time have I heard that. What I have heard is some variation of this. This thing happened to me in my life. I had a personal problem. Some, some Christians were mean to me. So I'm like, eh, I'm all done with that. Or, um, you know, there's some weird piece. There's one, some weird slice of something that offends me personally. And that's why I'm not in. So, yeah, if you know Penn and Teller from the, the Magicians, so Penn is a very famous atheist. He's very entertaining, very charismatic. The reason why he's not a Christian, this is why he's not a Christian. He'll say something like this. So, well, I'm reading the New Testament. I was like, man, geez, I really like this Jesus guy. But then I get to the point of, um, you know, you might have to leave your family in order to follow me. That, that the relationship with me is, is even more important than the relationship with your family. Sometimes your brothers and sisters won't have to go by the wayside. And this is, this is true to some extent. We understand that sometimes families can be broken and messy. But he says, no, for me, family is primary and important, and I'm never going to put family. It's like, when I just read that, I went, no. No, no pie for me. Well, okay, that's, a, that's an interesting reason. But it's not about Jesus. It's not about whether Jesus is real. It's not about the resurrection. It's about something else. Or, you know, uh, someone close to me in my inner circle of family died, and I don't know why God would kill my insert family member here. It's something like that. And listen, I'm not, I'm not if there's a reason to be upset, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, it's like to not understand that as a child, why your why a parent would pass away or why your little brother would, would die, and you see that. That's a hard thing to get over. I'm not, I'm not denying this. But what I am saying is that we don't have to answer all the questions. We don't have to answer all the questions. Just answer one question. Who is Jesus? Well, what about the resurrection? And that is the heart of the gospel. And if we can get through with, if we can get that, that could be the foundation that we can build on. And you can walk into answering the other questions as you go. So what do I want you to do? I want you to do this. I want you to eat the bread. So I think we have some bread. <laughs> if we could, if we could uh, pass this out real quick. And I would just invite you all to take some bread. So this bread, I have a friend who has a theory that that food is more delicious the more suffering that's involved with the food. <laughs> so so this, particular, this particular bread is good bread because it was uh, actually brought by the French to the Pacific Rim. So when they, brought food, when they brought their food and their imperialistic urges to the Vietnamese and to uh, people around the Pacific Rim, um, uh, they were really mean to the indigenous peoples there. But the indigenous peoples eventually figured out that the French had really good bread. And so, so, v- so Vietnamese bread, if you do like banh mi or something like that, they have this wonderful, wonderful bread. So that's what this bread is. Um, it's not quite as epic as it would be fresh. It's, it's about a day old I bought it yesterday, but still pretty good bread. So if you're, if you're obliged, take some bread and a snack on that as we, as we go. So as we take the bread, I want, I want you to do this. I want you to... Just understand the picture of taking the life of Jesus into yourselves, of actually eating the bread, of actually having the experience of, of participating with the bread. And when we, when we understand what Jesus is doing here, what happens when we eat the bread? 
I think there are a couple things I have on. Um, first one is devotion. And, and I'll just talk about myself for a second. Um, we experience a mystical and personal connection with God. Uh, it means everything. <laughs> it means a lot. Look, for me, I can make bad decisions. I can get angry. I can lash out at people. I can move with bad motives. Um, the truth is there's still trauma inside my head from when I was a kid um, that isn't fully fixed yet. I think that's true for a lot of us. Um, but I have experiences with God, actual experiences with God that I can't deny. So here's one of them. I've got 100, but here's one. I was married very young. I was widowed at 22. I told you guys a little bit about that. My wife died. But in that process, I prayed. I said, God, you there? Are you really there? <laughs> I go, what's going on? And God said, yes. And for a period of about three days, I had the most extraordinary mystical experience. God's presence was palpable. I could feel it. I could feel it. He was with me. And I asked him hard questions. And I'm telling you, he gave me straight answers. <laughs> it was absolutely incredible. Like, well, what about, what about this? What about that? And I was like, you know, and I, he would talk to me. And it wasn't audible voice, but it was really clear. It was in English. It was things that I could understand. If I told you everything that was said to me, you would go, eh. Because it, it, was, it was fully formed. It was almost like, the best way I can describe it is, you know how sometimes when you're dreaming and you just know something, and, you, and it's, fully, it's a fully formed thought. You might have, someone might say a word, but you know everything about the thought. It was like that. So God would give me a word or give me a phrase, and I, just, and I, I understood it fully. It was really, really incredible. Um, now, I asked God hard questions. He gave me straight answers for a period of time. It was an incredible mystical experience. Now, is it possible? Is it possible? Is it possible that you had a psychotic break due to the stress of being widowed as a kid, you know, before your cerebral cortex was fully formed? Is it possible? Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, is it possible? Yes, it is possible. <laughs> I would say extremely likely. Is that what happened? No, it's not what happened. I'm just telling you. I haven't struggled with mental illness um, or auditory hallucinations in this sort of way. His voice wasn't telling me to do weird things to people or, you know, to, you know whatever. Um, he was telling me things that I never would have imagined on my own. The information I got was new information to me. It was surprising. It was really good. It was comforting, and it would mean very little to any of you. <laughs> right, right. It was good for me. It was good. It was for me. It was loving. And my, my point is this. I, I could no more stop believing in God after having this experience, because to deny this experience would be denied one of the foundational experiences in my life. I could no more stop doing this, and I could flap my arms and fly around the room. It's just not possible for me to go, nope, there's no God, no pie for me. Like, no, I believe in God because God was incredibly loving to me in this scenario. Now, I, I do know people that, that have a very traumatic experience that this did not happen for them. Why didn't it happen for them? I don't know. I, I don't know. And I'm sorry about that. I mean, part of it was um, this was an open door for me. I had the kind of relationship where this was fair game. <laughs> you know? So I, you know, I might ask someone, well, are you, would you be okay if God were talking to you? They'd be like, no. <laughs> okay, well, okay, then settle down. Uh, or the other thing that I, I would say is this. When, when I think about this, I mean, I, I have a friend who goes, wow, who would say something like, wow, he's super holy or he's super spiritual. It's like, nope, that's not what was going on. What was going on was I was so weak and so full of doubt and so on the precipice that God had to go through extraordinary measures to get me back to zero. And so this isn't a point of pride for me. This is actually a very humbling Thing. I don't talk about it a lot because it's not like, wow, this was a huge win. It's like, no, I was hanging on by my fingernails and God bailed me out. And he loved me. And it was extraordinarily good. But it wasn't like, it wasn't like because of something I did right in any way. Okay. So devotion. We have that kind of devotion. <laughs> Other thing we have is conviction. When we eat the bread, we take the gospel into ourselves. We know that he is the Holy One. We come, become convinced of this truth as we experience it and accept it. My faith in God is not a shot in the dark. It's based on experiences that I've had 
with God, with his people, with his word. And we come to a conviction that Jesus is who he says he is. This is really, really cool. When we eat the bread, this uh, gets turned to eleven. Third thing is this. Um, we have a deep sense of satisfaction. There is uh, a reaching and a yearning and a striving to life that just does not get answered any other way. It doesn't get answered with money. doesn't answer with fame. doesn't get answered with relationships. Those things are great, but it does not fill the hole that we have. What does fill the hole is the bread of heaven that brings this deep satisfaction, and it works like this. This is where we'll land the blame. Um, Jesus is the bread of life. And in the pictures that we looked at in Scripture, it looks like this. He is plenty to us. He is plenty. Love, joy, peace, the hope of heaven. Jesus is the bread of life, and he shares eternal life with us forever. It's an incredible picture of plenty. There's no lack in, in, this, in this picture. It's the idea that all the sad things are going to come true, come untrue. Everything is going to be set right. Everything is going to be made completely whole. Jesus to us in who he is, and when we understand it, it's a picture of plenty. Um, it's a picture of judgment and lack, but in a surprising way. Jesus says bread. He took God's judgment. He took our lack of bread upon himself. He really did. He bore the hunger of the cross so that we could be filled forever. He became our divine provision, literally coming down out of the sky. <laughs> you know, it's like he becomes a provision. He becomes the man from heaven. We couldn't find it ourselves. We're wandering around in the desert, wondering how we're going to survive, and then Jesus appears like a gift to give us life, to sustain us. He is our divine provision. He is our hospitality and connection. Jesus, as bread, welcomes us to his table with old world hospitality. He says, sit down, take off your coat, <laughs> you know, let me get you something to eat. And he welcomes us to his family. He provides for us. He calls us his friend. And, and he looks at us like Boaz looked at Ruth. Lost, a stranger in a strange land, disconnected, yet seeing beauty in us where nobody else does saw a relationship with us as a good thing, as something to be pursued. He draws us into his household. He shows us kindness. Before we ever realized what was happening, he's bread for us. He has hospitality and connection. Um, Jesus says bread for us is journey food. Jesus in us, he's bread for the journey. Even if the journey in, is in the desert, even if it's hard. There's a guy in our church named Greg Zimmerman. Many of you have not met Greg Zimmerman uh, because he's going through bout after bout with cancer, and COVID is a real thing for him, so he just has to quarantine and be safe. And so he comes to the online service sometimes. So, but I'm just telling you, Greg Zimmerman, <laughs> I mean, you know, can I get an amen from anybody who's met Greg Zimmerman? He is the, man, he's the most positive, most encouraging, most connected person I, I know. <laughs> and, and he has a piece of God that just radiates off of him. He's weirdly okay, in spite of all the physical stuff that he's going through. He is a shining light for the gospel. He's inspiring to anybody who meets him and knows anything about his circumstance. He's actually okay. How can that be? Because he's found the bread of heaven, and it's excellent food for the journey, even if the journey is hard. Greg Zimmerman knows all about this bread. I'm telling you, he's snacking on it often, and it's, it's a wonderful picture. It's good, it's good journey food. Okay, Jesus says the bread of life is generosity. <laughs> so John 3 says, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. He gave, expressing himself as generosity as a man, emptying himself of the king of heaven's status, giving himself away. Why? so that we could have bread, bread that lasts forever, bread that sustains us, bread that we couldn't get to on our own. Jesus is the bread of life. It's the most amazing picture of generosity the world has ever seen and that ever will see. And when we take this generosity as bread into ourselves, into our own hearts, we get it. And us being less selfish gets a whole lot easier when we understand the generosity that we're walking into. Last one is this. 
Jesus says the bread of life is the presence of God. He is the presence of God. In the tabernacle, one of the primary pictures of God was the wonderful, freshly baked bread of the presence, the bread of the presence. And now with Christ, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We become walking tabernacles. We are the indwelling presence of God. The bread of the presence lives in us. Let it be baked fresh daily. Let it be ongoing. Let it smell delicious. I mean, let it, let it be amazing to anybody who would happen to wander by. We become the picture of the presence of God as we're drawn into this incredible story of bread. So this is where we land. <laughs> when you see the bread of life, when you take the step of taking the bread of life into yourself, into your own experience, we experience the change and the benefit that he brings. Life, connection, provision, presence. I'm not just an idiot. I'm an idiot filled with the presence and power and provision of God. And that changes everything, right? It makes things better. What does it mean for you? What does it mean for you? What does this indwelling bread mean for you? Let the question hit you. You are supercharged by the bread of heaven. <laughs> How does that change your life? What difference does that make? How does that impact you? How does that impact the lives of people around you? And so here's your assignment. Every time you encounter a piece of bread this week, I want you to grab it and eat it immediately. <laughs> no, I'm not just kidding. What, what? Every time you encounter a piece of bread this week, I want you to be reminded of Jesus as bread. Think about Jesus as bread and think about what that means and what that might mean where you, where you are. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the, the wonderful picture of bread. I thank you that you are the bread of life. I pray that we would take the courage to, to take the step of taking that wonderful bread into ourselves. And Lord, I pray that you would just uh, show us where you want us to go and that you would open our eyes to the opportunities that are all around us as we go day to day with the people that we meet, the word of kindness, the simple blessing, the being kind. And Lord, I pray that you would just open doors for us to share the gospel in meaningful ways. In Jesus' name, amen.